Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Preaching on the various subjects that deal with the foundation and doctrinal issues of the church in the 21st century. And uh, last Sunday, Brother Rayleigh so adequately just ministered to our hearts on the oneness of the Godhead, and I'm thankful for the teaching that we heard last Sunday. And today I have asked Brother Chris Osborne if he would uh, to prepare. And he's going to speak to us this morning about worship and what it means to us in this day. This is far more than just antics. We're not just moving our hands. We're not just lifting our voices for the, uh, for the purpose of being seen and heard of men. And so I wonder if you'd welcome our friend today to this pulpit, Brother Osborne. Can we just clap our hands to the Lord one more time and thank him for his mercy, his presence in this place. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4. Just say what a privilege it is to be in the house of God today. There's many people in this world right now that would that would give an arm and a leg to feel just a portion of what we've already felt in just the first five minutes of this service. And we take that for granted sometimes. With the help of the Lord today, we're just going to talk about worship. And I feel like God has just nudged me into a certain direction. So I just ask you to pray for me and Ask the Lord to anoint me and to anoint you to receive the word. John chapter 4 and verse 23 through 24. But the hour cometh, now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. A more modern take on our language says it like this, a time will come, however indeed it is already here, when the true genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshipers. God is a spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth or reality. And so, as has already been stated, I'm just going to speak to you this morning for just a few minutes on the topic of worship. And if you would, just lay your Bibles down right now. Let's pray one more time for the Lord to just speak to us. Lord God, we love you today. And Lord, we don't take it for granted, Lord, that you have allowed us one more opportunity to come before you. I ask you to help us come before you, Lord, in truth. Help us to come before you, Lord, with our spirits open 
and our minds receptive to every word that would proceed out of your mouth today. I praise you and I magnify you above every sickness and every disease and every situation that would try to exalt itself above the knowledge of your word in this place today. I proclaim the name of Jesus in this house to take dominion and authority over every unclean spirit that would attempt to come against your word. And I praise you and I magnify you in the name of Jesus. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Worship is not only necessary, it's, it's essential to us. It's essential to us, number one, as human beings, but it's very essential to us as aspiring Christians and people of God. You see, we're all born with an innate desire to worship something. The act of worship is just as natural as it is to breathe in and out because it's the way that we were created. Bible says in Genesis 2 and 7 that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so in the beginning, the very first thing we see is that God formed man. It was not something of a uh, big bang as some people would say is that we just evolved from something No, we were formed, we were made into his image, and he breathed into us his breath and his life, and that's what created the living soul. And so that breath and that that essence of God that lived inside of man, it created an intense and an insatiable desire for man to be with and to commune with his creator. But unfortunately, in very very few chapters later in Genesis chapter 3 we're introduced to a problem and it it more than complicates matters and and that problem today is sin. You see sin separated man from God and he was driven from the face of God and this created a divide. It created a separation or a wedge in between that that God that created that man. But hear me the desire to worship never left. It never left. It stayed with man. And so that's why you can travel anywhere on this planet at this very moment in time and you will find someone somewhere worshiping something. It's just in us. It's an intense desire. And they, human beings in and of ourselves have a desire to reach up unto something that is greater than ourselves. You see, everyone in this planet, whether they want to admit it or not, they are striving for one thing, and that is completeness. They are striving for wholeness, and some do it with great ignorance and and with great abandon, and they worship all sorts of things, whether that be jobs or, or money or toys or trinkets. You see, they just worship things because you can absolutely worship anything. I, was, I would go today as so far as to say that everyone on this planet is worshiping something right now whether they understand it or not. I don't believe that you can not worship something. It's just innate. It's in us. But for that worship to be right, for that worship to be correct, and for it to be in the place that it should be, it must be unto God. So how do we do this? Well, first and foremost... We have to deal with the problem. 
We have to deal with the issue that has caused the separation. We have to deal with sin because you absolutely cannot worship God, actively worship God with sin in your life. You can praise God with sin in your life, but you cannot worship God with sin in your life. We must repent of our sins and we must die out to the flesh continually. Not just once, not just twice, but it has to be a continual thing. You see, secondly, we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And then we have the promise of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is the new birth. But then we have to take this initial experience. We have to take what we have then, and we must continue on. You see, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process of diligently seeking God completely and wholly. You see, worship goes far beyond just showing up here in this place twice a week, clapping our hands to the beat of a drum and singing the right words to the songs that are presented before us. It's so much further than that. I mean, it's part of it, yes, but it's not the totality of worship. We're admonished in Scripture to praise God. We do this with our lips, and we do this in psalms and in dancing and playing skillfully on stringed instruments, and that list goes on and on. That is part of it, but we worship with our lives because it's a lifestyle. I didn't give them these scriptures, but, but the psalm said in 29 and 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96 and 8 and 9 said the same thing. Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. So that tells me that it's, it's, it's more than just mere semantics or antics. It's, it's a lifestyle. It has to become who you are. You, you, you live holiness, and so we worship in the beauty of of holiness. The word worship means to honor, revere, adore, pay homage, render devotion and respect. And if you looked it up in the dictionary, our word worship comes from an old English word worth sipe or worthship or worthship. That is to say that worship is attributing worth to someone or something. So the bottom line is this what we value, what we put value on, that is what we will worship. You see, the value that we place on something will determine what we're willing to give to it in quality devotion, the energy that we exert, and the intensity in which we exert that energy to pursue, to give worship. Jesus said, for where your, your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know for the most part we use that talking about money, but I believe that that has absolute encompassing of worship. This is where we place that value and that, that treasure that will determine what we do for it. You see, another word for heart is figuratively means the mind, which directly points to the passions and their pursuits. And so we, where we place the treasure and the high value that we attribute to it will in fact, if we worship, determine if we worship and how intense we do it. 
You see, it's often said that the direction that you face will most likely be the direction that you lean and subsequently walk. And that completely encompasses an act of worship. You see, it's all about position. It's all about priorities. John chapter 4 and 24, we read it earlier. Jesus says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the word here is proskineu. I'm from North Florida, so I don't speak Greek. That may or may not be the way you pronounce that, but it's there. Proskuneu means to kiss the hand towards one in token of reverence. It means to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with a forehead as an expression of profound reverence. The New Testament, it means by kneeling or prostration to do homage, to make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication used in homage shown to men of beings of superior rank. And so as we can see, worship is serious. Worship is not some lackadaisical thing that we do. And we always do it. We worship something. And so this is serious. It means that you are bowing down and you are giving it superiority over your life. You see, it's not a mere handshake or a passing glance. Worship is bowing down and being servant to something. So the question today is simply this, what or who are we worshiping? We must never forget that there are many things in this world that are competing for our worship. And ultimately, there are two worlds that are seeking after you and me at this very moment and that are seeking our worship. One of these is hell, and if the devil can get your worship, well, then he's just one. You see, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness in Matthew 4, Satan tempts him with many things. But what it all came down to, the bottom line, was worship. He knew that if he could get his worship, that he would win the war. But Jesus does not comply. Jesus does not bow down. No, he combats him with the word of God. It says, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. But Jesus said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. As I have already stated, many people worship many things. However, the highest form of worship is the worship of God. And we do this properly, hear me, properly by worshiping him according to his word and not necessarily according to our own feelings or our own preferences. You see, true worship isn't carried out simply because it feels good. You see, the first time you see the word Worship in scripture. Abraham has taken his only son, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah. He's been told that he will sacrifice him there to the Lord. Genesis 22 and 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here, and I and the lad will go yonder 
and worship and come again to you. It's his only son. It's his only promise. God has given him this promise and it finally has come into fruition. And now he's told that he is to sacrifice it. But he says, I'm going to go yonder and worship. You see, worship is always, always sacrificial. And as I said before, true worship doesn't always coincide with our feelings or our preferences or even our atmosphere. You see, for men to worship God the correct way, it must be according to his way. Because we can't worship the promise. We have to worship the God of the promise. We don't worship him for return. We worship him for who he is. See, God tells this woman, he seeks worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus Christ, the only man ever on this whole planet that was ever worthy of any praise or any glory. Here he tells us how he wants us to worship him. First, we must worship in spirit. That is to say that we must be led by the Spirit. It's an act of surrender when we allow His Spirit to move upon us. Let me say that again. It's an act of surrender when we allow the Spirit to draw us. Somebody said, well, He's in control of everything. Yeah, but He's a gentleman, and He's not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. He needs to have you be drawn to him. So we surrender to him and we allow his spirit to draw us, which in turn will draw out of us adoration and love and praise and glory. That's what it draws out. That's what worship does. It draws that out of us. And then we worship him in truth by worshiping him according to his principles, according to his patterns, his commands that he's laid out in his word. You see, the Spirit and the Word are both needed to properly worship. Brother Rayleigh mentioned this, alluded to this last week. The Spirit and the Word, Spirit and truth. There has to be a balance. See, one way goes one way. The other way goes another way. You get the picture. We've got to be in the middle. There has to be a balance. I, I believe that we see this very evident in the very first chapter of the Bible in, in just two verses, Genesis 1 and 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, there has to be a balance of both word and spirit. And oftentimes, just like we did today, we will sing and we will worship God and we will praise God before the word goes forth. Let me just tell you this. That's not just so we can take up time. That's not so we can just fulfill a program or, 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 or a, a list of rules to do. No, there's, there's reason for that because we need to let God move on us first. We need to let his spirit move on us and break up the fallow ground that has been hardened all the way through the week through being in this world and, and walking through the, the most ungodly things that you can imagine. We need God's spirit to move and, and break us up and it allows for his word to be planted in us like a seed. You see, oftentimes we do this 
because we must allow God to move upon us, his spirit to lead us, and then he will draw us, and then he will draw things out of us. If we'll just worship him, he will speak into our lives. The earth was without form, and it was void of any life, but the spirit of God moved, and then he spoke. The result was creation. Beauty came from absolute darkness, pomegranates and cypress trees, lilacs and persimmons, sequoias and strawberries. All of these things came from absolute nothingness. And when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us and draw us, and we turn our lives over to him, and we avail ourselves to him in worship, there is absolutely no telling what he will call out of us and what he will speak into us. There's absolutely no telling what would come out of it. I'm telling you, if he, if he can speak to a dark ball of mud and call these things out of it, we can't comprehend nothingness. But it was absolute nothingness. If we will let him do that for us, there is absolutely no telling what will come out of that meeting. John 4 and 3 through 7. And we're just going to take a journey through this chapter. I told Sarah we're just going to read the whole chapter. We're not going to do it all at once, but we're going to read just about the whole thing. <laughs> the Bible says, John 4, 3 through 7, he left Judea, departed again into Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. See, he asked her for a drink first. Let's keep that in mind. Verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, she marveled that he would even speak to her, that he would even ask her for anything, because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And so on the surface, this would look like just a normal, arbitrary encounter. But I'm here to tell you today that nothing that he does is arbitrary or, arbit or, or, or random. It's just not. I think that he's showing us something here. I believe that he's showing us what he's willing to do and how far he's willing to go. You see, God seeks for worshipers not because he's a tyrant, not because he needs men and women to bow down to him as if he's needy or narcissistic, as if he needs to place himself into every situation. No, he seeks worshipers because he desires to help us and he desires to make us whole. He, he tells this woman that the Father seeks out worshipers to worship him because he desires to give and he desires to commune with his creation. And so if you'll just pause that for a minute, I don't think we can go any further without talking all this worship and all this seeking without talking about King David. We simply cannot talk about seeking and worship without talking 
about David. You see, David was a worshiper. David was a worshiper long before he was a king. You see, David was a worshiper long before he had a title. He was a worshiper on the backside of a desert. He sought the presence of God. He understood that it was in the presence of the Lord some things just take place. It's in his presence where things begin to happen. And he had an intense desire and hunger for the things of God. And like David, today, in 2015, we must seek to worship him. There's a lot of things we could seek after, but we must seek to worship him. We must, I've said this before and I'll say it again, we must become a generation of seekers and a, a generation of worshipers of God. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, not just Sundays and not just Wednesdays, but I'm talking about the presence of God all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple during a time that that relationship between God and man was distant, during a time where that relationship was separated by a veil, only allowing one man to enter in once per year, making only atonement for sin, David sought for a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, one that was not separated, one that was not distant, but one that had direct access to the glory and the presence of the Lord. And hear me today. God was not offended by that. In fact, he loved that. He looked for a day where that could happen, a day that the presence of the Lord could dwell with man always. He prophesied in Amos 9 and 11, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. There was another time where the apostles had met and they were trying to figure out a balance between the law and the new birth and everything that had happened since the day of Pentecost. And James mentioned this and alluded to this from the Old Testament when he said in Acts 15 and 14, he said it like this, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And he said it like this, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. And so, so God sought to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Notice he didn't say the wilderness tabernacle. He didn't say the grandeur of Solomon's temple. No, it was the tabernacle of David that he sought to rebuild so you ask, what is the tabernacle of David? We find it in 1 Chronicles 15, in verse 1. 
And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. If you'll skip down to verse 25, the Bible says, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark, the covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers. And Shania, the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him and he fought of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. We'll go into verse 16. So they brought up the ark of, the, of, the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and of the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. He appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the God of Israel. Asaph the chief and next to him Zechariah, Jael and Shemiramoth and Jael and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with psalteries and with harps, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also, and Jehaziel the priest with trumpets, hear me, continually before the ark of the covenant of God. You see, God sought to rebuild the tabernacle of David above anything else because it represented his desire to be in constant communication and communion with his people. He sought to rebuild relationship between himself and with mankind. That is his heartbeat, and he chose a man after his own heart to represent it. Acts 13 and 22 says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You see, that's why God was so fond of David and his tent. That's all it was. It was simply a tent. It was just a booth. It wasn't necessarily grand or ornate. It was not so great to look at on the outside, but it was what was going on in the inside that mattered. It was the fact that there was constant worship and there was continual praise and it did not stop. You see, it's what Jesus went to Calvary for. He went there to remove the separation between himself and man. When he said, it is finished, the veil was rent in such a way that it could never be repaired. That divide was gone forever. It was removed, giving us direct access to him, direct access to his provision, 
direct access to his miracles, direct access to his mercy, and for his law to live on the inside of us, never to be separated again. Now I don't have to wait for someone to go there for me. I can go there myself. I don't have to wait for someone one time a year to go in for me. I can access that myself. I can go before him with my hands lifted up and my eyes lifted up, asking him in supplication and in prayer, and he will be there. It is available for everyone. It's available for you right now. Available, attainable for whosoever will. That was David's desire. And that was and it still is God's desire. A constant pursuit from both directions. So God is still seeking. He is still seeking for man to become his tabernacle. Where constant worship takes place I, I think we see this so apparent in where we read in John 4 with the woman at the well it is a very apparent picture of his seeking but hear me today we have a responsibility in all of this as well we must seek his presence and then when we get there we have to respond and we have to engage his presence we must allow his spirit to draw us. And then when we get there, hear me, we have to be truthful with him about ourselves. I know that seems odd because God knows everything, and he does. He is omnipresent, and he is omnipotent. He knows all things all at the same time, but he requires us to be truthful before him about us. We must walk in the spirit and we must live in the truth. And when we do this, some things take place. John 4 and 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep from whence then hast thou have this living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus, Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. Because this is where it kind of takes a turn. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. I said some things happen when we come in the presence 
of God. See, when we when he seeks us out and we respond to him and we are truthful with him about our situation, our faults are revealed and our infirmities are made known. There is absolutely no indication that I can find where this woman was even thinking about this. And he said, go, call thy husband. I have no husband. You've answered truly. She could have said, okay, I'll be back. I'll be back later. She could have walked away and never would have returned. But she didn't. She stayed. Even though it hurt a little bit to reveal that problem, she stayed in the presence of God. You see, the woman saith unto him, Sir, now, now I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say, being a Jew, that in Jerusalem it is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. The woman saith unto him, verse 26, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this his disciples came. The second thing that happens when we enter into the presence of God and we stand before him open and honest and we allow him to lead us and guide us and we are truthful with him about our situation, then he will be truthful with us about who he is. I know that doesn't seem right that he wouldn't be. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't be. I'm just saying that if you will be true with him, he will be true with you. If you will let him know what's wrong with you, this is what he said, I can take care of it. If you will just tell him what's wrong with you, he will present himself, I am the problem solver. I am the one that stands before you, that can heal you, that can touch you, and that can make you new. See, the woman entered into an exchange with Jesus. She was truthful with him about her. And at that revelation, Jesus then reveals who he is. I've said it before, but if you'll be truthful with him, he will be truthful with you. And so this is this. This is proper worship. We stand before him. We sacrifice our flesh. We sacrifice ourselves. We sacrifice our pride and even our dignity. And that leads to revelation because we reveal who we are and then he reveals who he is and that leads to transformation and we walk away from that moment with a testimony. You see, that's what happened to this woman because she left her pot at the well. She left her past at the well that says the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? So we don't worship him 
get something. No, we don't. We worship the Lord out of love and out of honor. But hear me today. He will bless us and he will give us revelation because it's his nature to do so. It's what he does because he's already been seeking us. He's already loved us long before we ever knew him. We see this example in a myriad of ways throughout scripture, but none more vivid than the one in Mark chapter 5. And I'm coming to a close if our musicians will prepare. Mark 5 and 1 through 6. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because then he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Jesus came to that place for a purpose. Hear me today. He took his disciples through a storm to make it where this man was. And I don't believe, as I've already said, that for one moment this was arbitrary or a chance encounter. I believe with all my heart that Jesus knew where he was going and he knew what his intentions were when he got there. But when Jesus stepped onto the scene, the man came to him. You see, 2,000 to 6,000 devils could not hold him back from worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And in just a few moments, what it took years for sin to accomplish was overturned and made new at the feet of the master. The next time we see him, he's clothed and in his right mind. And I'm here to tell you today, that's what worship can do. That's what worship can do. A man that was tormented day and night by demons inside of him, cutting himself did not release the pain. Living on the edge of society did not relieve his anguish. The Bible said that he was bound with fetters and with chains. And so that tells me that conventional methods could not tame him or change him or make him better. There was an appeal that could absolve him and make him better from his ailment. Men's ways and men's philosophies could not turn him around and make him whole. But when he made his way to the feet of the master of the heavens and the earth, the word made flesh. In an instant, he was made whole. It's when he got in the right position. It's when he placed the problem underneath the problem solver. You see, Jesus seeks to worship 
us to worship him, not to make himself feel better, but to make us complete. He's been seeking all week. He's been walking to and fro all week. He's looking for men and women right now that will stand before him open and honest. And now all we have to do in this moment is to fulfill the other side of that equation. And then we got to just watch his miraculous power be revealed. So I end with this, if you'll stand with me. Like the woman at the well, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your last name is. And it doesn't matter what your background is. Or like the devil-possessed man, it doesn't matter what's trying to bind you, whether that be internally or externally. God is greater than any sickness. He's greater than any disease. He's greater than any circumstance or situation. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can worship your way through every situation and every problem. If you can just get in the right position, if you can just get the problem solver over your problems, you can worship your way to a revelation, you can worship your way to a miracle, and you can worship your way to transformation. And that leads to a testimony. Mark 5 and 18 through 20. We end with this. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on me, on thee. And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. I'm telling you today, that's what worship can do if you'll just stand before him in this moment, open and allow him to lead you. He will give you everything that you need. He will bless you and he will heal you and he will give you revelation of who he is. I think we ought to lift our hands right now. I think we ought to enter in to his presence right now. Open and honest, would you lift your voice? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.